All right. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, as Adam mentioned. Uh, it's just great to be with you this morning. Uh, just feel so blessed to be uh, able to have this opportunity to stand up here and uh, speak from God's word and, and hopefully challenge all of us. Uh, as we've been talking about this current series that we're in, the slow series, uh, is talking about life's demands. And for every one of us, we have this, a lot of responsibilities and demands on our lives. And, and what I thought when we went into this series uh, was that, you know, there's certain areas of life or certain stages of life, should I say, that uh, are more busy than others. Uh, And I think that's probably because I'm in a stage of life where people would look at me and say, "Ah, yeah, you're probably pretty busy. Uh, For those of you who don't know, my wife and I, we have six kids from 10 to five months. And so we have a lot of responsibility there. Uh, And and it's easy for me to pat myself on the back and say, well, yeah, Chris, you're really busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. But as I thought about this more, I thought, you know, this, this idea of being busy is not necessarily a stage of life thing. I think it goes across, uh, it jumps across those stages. I mean, I think of my little kids, uh, my young kids that are in elementary school, and, and one specifically, he's, he's in band, he's playing baseball, he just went through the PSSAs, these tests, and he's got a lot of responsibility on his plate. And then as you get older, you get into high school, you start thinking, well, what am I going to do after I get out of high school? What am I going to do when I'm finished with this stage of my life and there's this, this fear of the great unknown that comes? You know, we feel this pressure. I got to go to college. I got to make something of my life. I got to be su- successful. And so that pressure starts building in on us. And we got to get a job because we got to pay for our student loans. You get into college and you, you got all this pressure of responsibilities, maybe extracurricular stuff, uh, maybe scholarships you're trying to keep. And so there's a lot of pressure at that stage. And then you get out of that and you get married and you're trying to get established and you have your job responsibilities and now you're paying off those student loans and family tensions and all kinds of things. You get into where the stage of life where I'm at and it's just absolutely crazy. And and then I thought, well, surely when I get to be like ah, 50, 55 and my kids are moving on, Surely by that point, I will be able to slow down and stop. And this past week, I just, I just reflected on this. I stopped and I thought about my parents. My father will be 60 in November. And that's hard for me to believe that my dad is going to be 60. And I thought, well, surely they're slowing down. But as I look at their schedule, they, they, they both still work. My parents both still work. They're not, neither one of them is retired. Uh, they try to build in time for the, the family. They do things with the grandkids. I'm calling them a lot to watch our kids. So they're watching their grandkids. They're coming to their grandkids' events. And then also my mom's parents are aging and getting to the end of life. And so my mom is trying to take care of her parents. And so there's just all kinds of stuff going on. I'm thinking, man, I... I'm not going to get to slow down. This is just going to keep going. Sorry to kind of rain on everybody's parade here this morning or kind of put a cloud over us. And then as I was greeting people at the back today after first service, and some of our older saints were coming out and they were saying, you know, we rest all the time, but it just hurts. Everything hurts. You know, these are people that are in their 80s and they're saying, you know, we don't, we don't have a lot to do, but everything just hurts. So I'm thinking, well, great. At least if I get to 80, I'll be able to stop. But then it's all going to just hurt. So I don't know. Maybe the Lord will take me back before then. Well, I think it's really ironic, too, that, that I am up here speaking this morning. It's amazing how God works this out. Adam and I put this stuff together months ago. And, and I knew that I was going to be preaching on this date back in the winter. And here I am standing on the stage. And this is one of the busiest times 
in my life or in our season right now, in our calendar. If you were to walk into our house and you were to pull our calendar out of our, our drawer there, we keep it in a drawer, that, and my wife still keeps it. It's still a calendar. It's not digital. I know that's hard to believe. Mine is digital, but she still keeps our family calendar. And there is very little white space on that calendar because we have two young boys that are uh, currently playing baseball. And wouldn't you know that they're on different teams and each one of them practices on different nights and they both have to practice twice a week. And so you can just start doing the math and filling in there. And there's not a lot of extra space. And it's amazing to me that God would put me up here on the stage in the midst of this very uh, busy season of life. Now, for some of you, you love to constantly be going. Some of you, that's what you thrive on. You're like, I, I want to just keep going. I want to have something else on my schedule. I want to do something else. I remember being a teenager and thinking white space on the calendar scared me because I thought that I, I was a, a loser if I didn't have people to hang out with or stuff to do. And, and so some of you, you continued that. You just, you want to have stuff to do. You want to have your calendar full. And that blank space on the calendar just makes you nervous. You're like, well, what are we going to do? We've got to find something to do because Thursday night, there's nothing to do. And we have to have something to do. And so you fill your calendar. Or maybe there's others of you who, you know it. You need space in your life. And if there's not space in your life, that's starting to build anxiety in your, in your heart. You know that you have to create margin in your life. There has to be space between the current pace that you're going and the maximum speed that you could live life at. And so you do everything you can to protect the calendar. You might even say no to more things than you should or you could because you think, man, if that calendar starts filling up, if we have three things to do on Saturday, that is way too many things. And so I can't do that. So no, I'm not going to do it. Now, I'm going to guess... That no matter which way you are wired, no matter which way God has wired you. For me, God has designed me. I'm a pretty even keel guy. If you know me well enough, you know that my, my, my mountaintops aren't very high and the valleys aren't very low. It's just the way God's designed me. It's who I am. But I'm going to guess that no matter which way you are, that there are times in life where these responsibilities of things, possibly work, relationships, and finances really start to build up on you. And it starts to, you start to feel the pressure of that. And I'm going to take a stab in the dark, no matter which way you are wired, that you felt that from one time or the other, that you can relate to that, knowing that, man, I know what it's like to feel so busy that I can't finish it all. And even the way that God's wired me, there have been times in my life where I have sat back and I've thought, God, there's no way I can do all this. How in the world can I balance all of these things and still keep my sanity, God. I just don't know how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to bet that you can relate to that. And I would ask you the question this morning, what if it doesn't need to be that way? What if we don't need to get to that point? What if God has given us the blueprint, if he's laid it out in front of us and said, here's how this thing works. Here's why you feel so anxious. Here's why you feel so hurried or stressed. And if you would just trust me, doesn't have to be that way. If you would just listen and apply it, it doesn't have to be that way. See, God is the author of life. God's the designer of life. I was thinking about this earlier with my kids. Uh, my kids love Legos. They go through stages and there's certain stages when they really, really love Legos. And what drives me crazy about my kids and the Legos is I'm, I'm a guy that I want all the pieces. I'm not the creative type. 
It's just not who I am. So I don't make like weird sculptures out of all the different Lego boxes. Like if I bought a truck, I want it to look like a truck. I want it to look like a truck today. I want it to look like a truck tomorrow. And for the rest of time, I want that Lego. I want to be able to put that together and make it a truck. Well, that doesn't work that way with my kids. My kids will get it out of the box. They'll put the stuff together and then they'll get bored with a truck. So then they'll create something that's like an animal in a truck or something like that. And, and when they're all finished, all the Legos will go back into this huge bin that we have. Six kids, a lot of Legos. So we have this big bin. And then they'll come to me months, months later, maybe a year later, with the directions for the truck. And they'll say, Dad, I want to build the truck. Let's build the truck. How in the world are we going to build the truck? So it takes us four hours to just find the pieces to build the truck. And it drives me crazy. Well, God, as the author of life, as the designer of life, thankfully, he doesn't work that way. He doesn't get bored with us. He didn't create Adam and Eve, shape the earth and and lay down all the principles and then create Adam and Eve and say, "Eh, you know what? This was great, but I'm kind of bored with this now. I'm going to go do something else. You guys have fun. Don't eat the tree or the fruit from that tree. And good luck with all the rest. I'm going to go do something else. Thankfully, that's not the God that we serve. Our God as a loving heavenly father has given us, uh, he's spoken to us. He's created into the, the DNA, the fabric of our design. He's given us some principles, some principles. And even beyond that, he's given us his word. He's spoken into us and said, hey, listen, here's some areas where you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted by pride. You're going to be tempted to forget who I am and you're going, to, you're going to start to put trust in the things of your own hands. But don't do that because if you do that, it's going to hurt you. So he's spoken to us through his word because he loves us. And in his mercy, he hasn't left us here to figure it out on our own. Now, you guys know this. You know this physically, your body speak to the creation. Even if you are someone who is an atheist, who does not believe in God, you know that there are certain things that the way that your body functions, and I would say it this way, God designed us this way. There are certain fundamentals, foundational things that you need in your life that if you ignore, it will hurt you. It will cause pain to you. And it may cause you to cease to exist if you ignore these things. So some of those are food, right? Our bodies tell us when we are hungry. I can go about four hours and then I start to get hungry. I don't know if you guys are like me, but my, I, don't, I don't forget that I need to eat. Okay, that's not something that happens for me. I remember that I need to eat. And if I don't eat and I start, just go one day, one day without food and see if it's really hard for you to remember that you need to eat. If you go two days without food, things that you don't even like will start to become appetizing to you because you're that hungry. And in our culture, and the way that this happens to me, maybe it happens to you, there will be times that even, it's not even my stomach that tells me I'm hungry, but it's my eyes that tell me I'm hungry. So if I go to like the farm show, or if I go to the New Holland Fair, or a a baseball game or something like that, and I see someone walking around with a large ice cream cone, I was kidding with Adam in the first service, I know this happens to him, because I've been with him when this happens. Like, he will see ice cream and it'll be like, I want ice cream. All of a sudden, like, and I've had this happen. Like, it's not even in my mind. I'm not even thinking about ice cream. I'm not even really that hungry. But I see somebody with that ice cream, and I'm like, hmm, I could eat that ice cream. That looks good, right? So our eyes sometimes tell us that we're hungry. 
Water. Water is another essential. We don't need to talk too much about that one because we all know we need water to survive. Shelter is another one that I think is essential to life. I mean, some of you guys that uh, maybe are outdoorsmen think, oh, I don't really need shelter. Well, I dare you to, t- to spend a week in the middle of January when it's about 10 degrees around here and the wind is blowing in the snow to just stay out there in those elements. It's not exactly fun. It's, a, it's an essential. It's something we need. Love is another one. And love, possibly between love and rest, these could be the two that we ignore the most. But love is one, and that grace-reaching group that's formed is, is beginning to, to pinpoint some of this. That if we are not loved, especially in those formative years, in the very beginning, that can cause trauma and hurt to us for the rest of our lives. So it's a foundational thing. It's something that God has wired into us. And then the one I want to talk about today is rest. And this is the one that I believe that we cheat the most. Our body starts to tell us that we're tired, but we ignore it. Think about the last time that it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Maybe for some of you, it's right now. In this moment, you're feeling like, oh, I could just take a nap. Maybe it's because I'm boring you, and I'm sorry if that's the case. But you know what I'm talking about. But what do we do when we start to feel that way? We reach for an energy drink or a cup of coffee or a soda, and we say, I'm going to trick my body. I'm going to fool my body. I'm going to give it caffeine, and I'm going to try to get through this sluggish period of my day. But what your body is really telling you is that you need to stop and rest. And I feel like for some of us, some of us, we are so physically tired. We're spiritually and emotionally exhausted. We're weary and anxiety is ravaging our heart and we're stressed out about things. And for some of us, there's very little peace in our lives right now. Well, you need to listen to me. A Coke is not going to fix that. All right. Coke is one of the greatest things that God has ever designed. Good. You got it. That's a joke. I know that he didn't make, but it's a short escape. That afternoon latte is a short escape from a bigger problem. It's, it's a short escape from a much bigger problem. Now, I'm not going to go into a medical lesson for you today. I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be. I don't claim to understand this in detail uh, as maybe a medical doctor could. But I think that God has spoken to us on this in this area. And now the ball is in our court. The ball is in our court. And the question is, are we going to respond and listen? Or are we going to ignore it? So here's the big idea for this morning. Big idea for this morning is this. Rest yourself before you wreck yourself. If you ignore the the design that God has put into you, that you need rest, if you ignore that, there will be consequences on the back end of it. There will be consequences at some point. And I believe it goes so much deeper than physical, just the physical. I think it gets into our soul. And so what I want to do now is I want to open up God's word with you and, and dive in and hear what God has to say to us on this. It's Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you're in your journal, one of these, this is the last week for this journal. We're on page 100, uh, and we have sermon notes in there. For those of you who don't know what this is, sermon notes, uh, there's passages throughout the week that you can read. And actually, in your bulletin as you came in, you would have found uh, there's a a pamphlet in there. That's our reading plan for the next couple months. Uh, If you'd like one of those journals, you can grab one uh, on the right-hand side there as you walk out into our foyer. There's some new ones. Uh, It's a gift to you. We'd love for you to have it. And so we're going to be in Mark 
chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some uh, there in the pews. If you didn't already see that, please feel free to take one. That's the page 830. If you brought your own Bible, you're probably not on page 830, just so I didn't confuse you there. It's only the ones that are in the pews. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one that's there. That's a gift to you. All right. So what we're going to do is I'm going to work through this passage. I'm going to read through it. And then we'll work through it, okay? So we'll read through it one time, and then we'll go back and work through it together. So Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting the grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathir was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, so you might ask, well, what is the Sabbath day? And so I think I want to do a little work here to get us up to speed to be able to work through this passage because he's talking about the Sabbath and it's important that we understand what it is. In the nation of Israel, the Sabbath day was from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. And see, what God had done for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people, was if you go way back to the time of Moses, and and you think back to the time that that the nation of Israel was a slave state, they were enslaved by the Egyptians, and God calls them out, he uses Moses, calls them out, they cross the Red Sea, and he has them on the way to the Promised Land, and he lays out these foundational principles, these laws, actually 600 plus laws. You might say, well, that's, that's a lot. But you have to remember that God is forming a new nation. He's establishing a country, if you will. And so there has to be some way for this country to to live. There needs to be some rules to live by. And number four, on the top ten instructions that God has for the nation of Israel, we find this Sabbath day. And I want to read it for you. It comes out of Exodus chapter 20. If you ever want to know where the the Ten Commandments are, that's where you can find them. Exodus chapter 20. I just want to read this one to you. This is number four. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock... Interesting, your livestock, so even the animals, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, at first glance, we look at this and we think, wow, this is great. I mean, God, in his divine wisdom, looks at the Israelites or the nation of Israel and says, thou shalt take a day off, a day off. Now imagine this in the context. This is a group of people who have not known freedom ever in their life. They've, every one of them would have been enslaved so long, the nation of Israel was in slavery so long, that none of these people would have known what freedom is. And they've worked at the hands of the taskmasters 24-7. So God brings them out. All right? God saves them and brings them, and he's taking them to the promised land, and he gives them this command, and he says, take a break rest. 
And at first glance, we look at this and we would think, oh, this is awesome. How great is this that God would give us a day off? But what starts to happen to the Israelites? They start to question this a little bit because they think, well, wait a second. We got a lot to do. And and we don't have any idea what this this means in our world. This is pre-refrigeration days. This isn't just we grab some food out of the refrigerator when we're hungry. All right, there's no microwave to just heat the food up. There's no Chick-fil-A to just go and grab something, although Chick-fil-A would have been closed on the Sabbath, mind you. But they didn't have that. So we don't have any idea what it means to, to really create a meal from scratch. Some of you ladies do that, but do you actually go out and harvest the grain and make the flour and, and, and butcher the steer and collect the eggs and milk the cows? So think about what they're doing. So God comes to them and says, take a break. And all of a sudden, the nation of Israel starts to ask the question, but but wait a second, God, what if we don't get everything done? I mean, if we don't get everything done, we're not going to eat. And so they start to question that. What if, and some of you men can relate to this, think about when your family is going on a journey, all right? And you have a target. Maybe it's this summer, you have a vacation, it's the beach, right? And you load up the family, all right? Everybody go to the bathroom because we're not stopping. We got to get there, right? So think of the men in the nation of Israel. Moses is like, everybody go to the bathroom. So we got a long journey ahead of us, okay? And so imagine if Saturday rolls around and it is beautiful weather. All week you've been trudging through the rain, the mud, beautiful sunshine. You're like, man, we can make some distance today. Oh, yeah, it's a Sabbath day. We're supposed to stop and rest. So see this thing, all of a sudden, what we at first glance looks like, this is a huge blessing. All of a sudden, the nation of Israel is like, but but God, what if? What what if we don't get things done? What if something happens? So here's what I believe the heart of this command is. God wants them to remember, I am the Lord, your God. I love you. I'm for you. Trust me and not the abilities of your own hands. Trust me and not the abilities of your own hands. And I think that God's still saying that to us today. Will you trust me enough to put the car in park, take your hands off the wheel and say, all right, God, I need to stop. I need to rest. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, I would recommend it to any of you. Great book, great read. He says it this way, and we all know this. We all know this, but we don't like to acknowledge it. He says, life, is on, life on this side of heaven is an unfinished symphony. We accomplish one goal and then immediately, immediately are confronted with new opportunities and challenges. But ultimately, we will die with countless unfinished projects and goals. You guys have that to-do list at home? And every time you cross something off, something else shows up, doesn't it? unfinished projects and goals, and we will die with things that we wished we accomplished that we never did. And here's what I think we have to acknowledge. I am not God. I cannot do everything. And if I become consumed by all the things that I'm trying to accomplish, even if it's good things for God, I might miss the very most important thing, and that's a relationship with God. 
And see, the Sabbath day, this idea was so important to God that he built into the law that if you were breaking or violating the Sabbath day, the day off, the punishment was death. I can't think of a harsher punishment than breaking the Sabbath. You die. So it must have been very important. And so what happens, as usually happens, man starts to add to what God has said. Man wants to understand. We want to put parameters around things. So the the Jewish rabbis and leaders start to look at some things where maybe God left some gray area. And they start to say, well, this is what it means to work. Let me define work for you. This is what it means to travel. If you go over 3,000 feet... On the Sabbath day, you've walked too far. You just violated. You are working. So, by the time we get to Jesus, at this point, there's something called the Talmud. All right? It's the rabbinical teachings. The rabbinical teachings on the law. Okay? By the time you get to the 8th century, which I know is after Jesus, there's 24 chapters. 24 chapters on one law, the Sabbath. 24 chapters. So put yourself in that place. I want to obey the Sabbath. You better start studying. 24 chapters on that one law. So now what God has given as a blessing to his people, by the time you get to Jesus, it's become a tremendous burden. Tremendous burden. So let's look now at Mark chapter 2 and see what's happening. Now that we have some of the context of the Sabbath day, verse 23 So one Sabbath day, one Saturday, beautiful Saturday, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They're walking. Question is, how far? Something that Mark doesn't even write here. And so they're walking through some grain fields, and they get hungry. And it says his his disciples begin breaking off the heads of grain to eat. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, they're, they're stealing. Isn't that breaking the law? Well, that was allowed because the farmers... They, they weren't allowed to glean to the edge of the, the field because they were supposed to leave some for travelers and the poor. So this was allowed. They're perfectly okay. So they're just taking some grain. And, and I don't know. I don't even know how that works. But they were taking some grain in their hands and they were eating what they wanted. Now, let me ask you a question. Were they harvesting? This isn't even their field. They're not harvesting to make a profit. They're just simply hungry. And so all they're doing is taking what will fill their stomachs. And Mark didn't record this, but I think what Jesus looks back at them and says, are you serious? Because verse 24, they say, but the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Serious. See, I think that the Pharisees had very good intentions, though. It's easy for us to beat up on the Pharisees, but I think they had good intentions. They wanted to make sure that people weren't violating God's law. So they wanted to make sure that it was clear. Well, what's a violation of God's law? And in trying to do that, I think they missed the heart. And I think that at times we can have really good intentions, but if we miss the heart of people, people get hurt. And I think that's what happens here because Jesus calls them out. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what your boy David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the day when Abathir was high priest. And you can read about this in 1 Samuel 21 if you want to this week. It's there. 
and he broke the law. David is a lawbreaker. Jesus calls him out right here. He says, he broke the law. Notice he doesn't say that it was sin, though. It's interesting. He says he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. This was clearly in God's law, and David clearly violated it. He also gave some to his companions. And it's interesting because God in his grace looks at the motive of the heart and not just the law itself. It's very, very interesting. There's a lot we could talk about on that, and I don't think we have time. But it's, it's, it's interesting that God does not miss. He, he notices the motive of David's heart here. David was hungry, and he wanted to feed his companions. And even though he broke the law, God seems to give him grace there. It's very interesting. But here comes the point in verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. How are you and I designed? Is it wired into us that we should only work six days and take a seventh to rest? The needs of the people. See, I think it's this way. I think that taking a Sabbath day is, is, it's not a have to. It's a, I get to. It's a chance for us to remember that we aren't God. It's a weekly opportunity for us to step back and to put in perspective that I can't possibly get everything done. I am not God and I need to be reminded that God is on the throne and he is working for my good. And so Jesus closes the scene out with this powerful reminder to the Pharisees. He says, so the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He says, I am in control of the Sabbath. I am Lord over the Sabbath, not you. And see, what the Pharisees were attempting to do is they're attempting to lord their power over everyone. And they've taken this foundational principle that God has laid and they've corrupted it with their own desire to control. It's so important that we don't miss this. The heart of this command, that the Sabbath was created for us. It's part of our need. And we can't allow the legalism of others to impact this in our lives. So I want to move into the practical side of this. How do you apply this? How do you apply a Sabbath in your own life? And how do we implement it in the 21st century? What does it look like? What does it look like to take a day of rest? And I think that God has given us this opportunity to take the Sabbath rest for us to step back and recognize it is hard to live in a a sinful, broken world. And once a week, if we can just take a break and remember that God is still gracious, he's still for us, he's still working on our behalf, it will do amazing things for us. So how do we do it? Well, here's the question I would ask you. This will help you establish what should a Sabbath day look like for me? What is work to you? Every one of you has a different answer in this room. If we were to go around and poll you, There are things to you that are, it it looks like work. It is work. You know it. When you're doing it, it is work. And let me speak to the young families in the room because I'm in that situation. There are certain things to you that you know are work. All right. Like when I change a diaper, that's work to me. I don't ever, when that passes, I will not miss that. All right. That's so, but that there's certain things that have to be done. Okay. There's certain things I get it. Like dishes, laundry, all that kind of stuff. It has to be done to keep the family functioning and for the health of people that are under your care. So I just put that caveat out there. But what does work look like for you? 
So for some of you, you labor, physically you work with your hands five, six days a week, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Physical labor is what you do. So possibly to you, a Sabbath day is actually laying down the work and resting. Maybe for others of you, it's office work. You're in an office 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And so maybe for you, it's just laying down the email, the technology, putting away, turning the computer off and saying, I'm taking a day off from this. I'll throw a couple ideas up there. Some of them might surprise you. Uh, Things like busyness and hurriedness, paying bills, errands. Some of those things, for some of you, that some of it might not be work, but for others of you, it's definitely work. Like, I don't want to go to the grocery store. I don't want to have to go pick that up for that person. I don't want to have to. So it's like running errands, things that, that fill up your schedule and your day. Multitasking, which I thought Pastor Adam did a great job of pointing out. We don't really multitask. We just jump from one thought to the other. So what would it look like to take a day where you don't have to jump from one thought to the other like that? To actually take a day where you're going to sit down and I'm going to take an hour and a half, two hours. I'm going to just sit and read this book. Or I'm going to sit out on my porch and and just take in God's creation. And I'm not going to multitask that day or try. And a lot of this I'll leave open-ended. I mean, you have to answer this question. But I think trying to find a day a week that you can rest from these things is important. Because here's the, the concept that... Peter Scazzaro points out, we don't serve the Sabbath. See, so many of us, it's, it's such a burden, like, oh, I can't, can't do that. I wanted to get that done. I wanted to finish that project. But we don't serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath actually serves us. We've been designed this way. So be intentional about setting aside the stuff, the work. And, and I would say this, it's not anyone else's definition of work except yours. What's your definition of work? But be aware as you do that, as you set out to think about that, what's that day going to look like? The temptations that tempted the Israelites are going to tempt you. They will be there. You will start to think, well, what if I don't get that project done on time? What if I don't finish? Because if I don't finish, it's going to set my whole week back. So I'm just going to take Sunday. Those of you who are in college, you have papers to write, and you think, if I take, man, if I don't do that, if I, don't, if I don't finish that, then I can't do this, or it's going to set me back, or I might not get the same grade. Or maybe it's if I don't wash the car, it'll look dirty all week long. And you see where it starts to come in, like, if I don't, if, if God, I don't, it won't happen. And see, I think that we can ignore this principle. You can sit here this morning, and you can ignore the idea of the Sabbath day. You can ignore that God has built into us this rhythm in life that says that we should take a day off, that says that we should stop. But if we ignore it, if we ignore it, I think that there's going to be consequences. I think that that things will happen. And I I say this because you might be questioning that. If those of you who are students of the Bible, study the Bible for some time, you might say, well, wait a second, Chris, can we really ignore that? What do you mean by that? And here's what I mean. And I, I was shocked as I studied this this week. I honestly was. I was taken off guard that in the New Testament... The Sabbath day is never commanded. And it's not even so much as recommended to Christians. That shocked me. I was taken off guard by that. But nonetheless, I think if we miss it, if we choose to ignore it, there's going to be consequences. And I think it leads to a loss of blessing in your life. I think it leads to uh, hurt relationships. 
I think that some of us, we lose peace, we lose joy, we lose contentment in our lives because of this principle. Because we're running so hard, we're so busy that we miss some of the most important things in our lives. And we feel so strung out on, on responsibilities and stuff that it impacts us physically. Kevin DeYoung points this out in his book, Crazy Busy. He says, you can borrow time, but you cannot steal it. How many of us have tried to burn the candle at both ends and we think, oh, I'm getting ahead. And then some major catastrophe happens or something big breaks down in our lives, maybe even physically. And then we got to stop and address the physical need because we can't keep going at that pace. I'll give you a very practical example of this. When I was doing student ministry, youth ministry, we used to do these things called all-nighters. And I knew that when I could no longer do the all-nighters, it was time for me to get out of student ministry because at 3 a.m. I'm responsible for these kids and I'm starting to hallucinate because I need to sleep and I'm, think, I'm seeing things that aren't really there. I'm like, this is a problem. I'm getting too old for this. But I used to think that I could, could go to work the, that day, do the all-nighter, come home and sleep for a couple hours in the morning, and then I would be okay. Well, guess what would happen to me? I would be tired, I'd be grumpy, I'd be slow, I would make mistakes, I would do things that I would have to go back and correct. Maybe I hurt a relationship because I was so grumpy. And now, so how far has that gotten me ahead? I've actually lost time. Scazzaro points it out in his book. He, tells, he recounts this story from the 1800s. And I love this, this story because it illustrates this point so well. That there was a group of travelers headed from St. Louis to Oregon in the late 1800s. You know, the, the horse-drawn wagons and stuff. And they're headed out there. And then when they set out, they say, okay, we're going to set out and we're going to travel for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to stop and rest and keep it as a Sabbath day to the Lord. Now, they set out in the, the late fall or mid-fall. And as the, they started to travel, they got held up. And they're getting into early winter. And this, the weather's starting to change and there's some fear building in the camp. There's some anxiety of, hey, we're not going to make it if we don't keep going. So there's this big debate. And they say, one part of the, the group says, we're going to travel the seventh day because we need to get there. And the other group says, no, we made this a commitment and we're going to honor it. And we're going to stop and rest every seventh day. Guess which group got there quicker? The group that traveled six days because their, their horses were well-rested, they were well-rested, they could think clearer, and they were so much more efficient in the six days than the other group that was there in seven. And so as the group of those that went seven days came, the group that had gone six greeted them at the door. The idea that we can control this thing, that we can ignore it, that we can really control the, the time, I think is an illusion. God has uniquely wired us to need rest. It's part of our design. It's who we are. And we can't ignore it or it's going to cost us something at some point. I'll share one final story with you. And maybe some of you will relate to this a little better than others. Uh, how many of you, when you buy a, a piece of equipment, Think of a car or a lawnmower or something like that, that you follow the owner's manual to the T. Some of you are in here and you think, I'm going to get the maximum life out of that car because I'm going to take care every time it needs service, everything. Well, just a week ago, I got the mower out of the barn for the first time uh, throughout the winter. And all I did 
And this is going to make some of you cringe. I almost had somebody I thought was going to punch me over this after the first service. But all I did when I got the mower out, okay, was I dusted it off, wiped some of the bird excrement off, and took off, started mowing. All right? I didn't, I didn't even look at the air filter, didn't check the oil, didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't even put fresh gas in it. Okay? I just started the thing up, and I started going. Now, I know that it needs service, and I'll get to it eventually. All right? But... Here's the idea. Three years from now, I can go to the Toro dealer and I can say, hey, you sold me a piece of junk. This thing doesn't work anymore. And he can look at me and say, well, did you take care of it? Did you service it? Did you do the things that it was designed to do? And I'd have to look back at him and say, no, I didn't. And how many of us How many of us are being robbed of joy and peace in our lives simply because of this failure? We're being robbed of joy and peace because we're failing to recognize that we were designed to need a day off. We were designed to need a day off. And I think so many of us, we stand at the door of our creator when we're stressed out and our relationships are a mess. And we look at God and we say, God, I'm so anxious right now. I can't get all this done. My relationships are a mess. And we stand there looking at him and say, why? And I wonder if his, in his grace and in his mercy, he doesn't look back at us and say, look at Psalm 127, verse 2. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. Because who gives us rest? It's God that gives us rest. So we can try. We can try to treat this, cheat this principle. We can try to push it and get ahead, and then when our physical body starts to break down, maybe our marriage starts to break down, our relationships start to break down, and we can look back at God and say, God, why didn't this work? Why didn't this happen? But we have to look at this and say, wait a second. I was designed to need rest. I was designed to slow down and stop. And I haven't been doing that. I want to close this series out, this whole series out, going back to what Adam shared Uh, I think in week one, if I remember correctly, and it comes back to Jesus and it says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. See, ultimately we find our rest in Jesus. He fulfilled the law perfectly where where we could not. He canceled out every one of our violations of God's law. He nailed them to the cross, as Paul speaks about in Colossians. And Paul goes on to tell us in Colossians chapter 2, if you want to read about it this week, go ahead. Colossians chapter 2, that we shouldn't let anyone look down on us if we don't celebrate certain, certain things or even talks about the Sabbath there. But if we miss the principle, if we miss the principle, there will be effects. There will be effects in our lives because we were designed to need rest. And here's my last statement for you. I think that taking a Sabbath is a tremendous expression of faith, especially in our world today. That when you can stop, when you can put the car in park and you can take your hands off the wheel and you can say, God, I recognize I cannot get all this done. And I want more. I want to be with you more than I want anything else in this world, more than any other accomplishment. I just want to be with you. That's a huge expression of faith in a world that doesn't sleep, 
in a world that just keeps running, 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 get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, for you to take a day and stop and say, I'm just going to rest in you today, God. That is a huge expression of faith, and I believe that God will bless us for it. Let me pray for you. For us, Father God, I thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love and compassion. God, I pray that you would forgive me. I stand in front of these people and I preach about what it means to take a Sabbath day, and I know that I haven't honored that all the time, and I haven't gotten it right. Father, I thank you for your grace, that you see the motives of the heart. That's scary, God, that you see the motives of the heart. I pray that you would fix our hearts, that you would point our eyes to you, Lord Jesus, that we would remember that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God that loves us. And so, Father, I just pray for every one of us that if we're anxious and strung out, Lord, will you give us the faith, the boldness, the courage to actually lay the work down for a second and to step into this thing, this relationship with you in a deeper way. In Jesus' name. Amen.